Our gospel reading this evening is from Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30 and 36 to 43. Again, listen for God's word to us. Jesus put before the crowd another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? And he answered, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the weed along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the weed into my barn. Then Jesus left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will collect out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Let anyone with ears listen. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. All of our readings this evening have at least one thing in common, and that is that they speak of the time in between. They talk of a time that is to come in the future, even as they reflect on the past, but they invite us to pay attention to right now. For now is the time of trusting, acting, and being. In the story from Genesis, Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran. And he was leaving something behind, a formal life. And soon, even his name was going to be changed. God had something else in store for him, including a new name. He was given a vision and a dream of what would be. The future would hold untold blessings for all families of the earth. But it wasn't realized just yet. He was living between the times. In Paul's words in Romans, we hear of an in-between time as well, between what was and what will be. Paul writes, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be realized in us. 
In our Gospel reading, it's the time between the sowing of the seeds and the harvesting of what's been planted that is emphasized. In each case, there is anticipation and expectation. The current situation, with whatever challenge it contains, will give way to something else. Something in keeping with God's plan. But in the meantime, we are to live our lives purposefully, somehow participating in what God is up to, anticipating what God is yet to do, in spite of the evidence, in spite of there being chaos and confusion at times all around us. This in-between time matters. It's what some call liminal space. What was isn't anymore, but what, what, what is to be has not yet been fully realized. But like Jacob or the sower in his field or even all of creation which groans in labor, while, there's, while there is a time of looking forward, we're reminded that right now is important. Now is the time for trusting, acting, and being. I mentioned at the beginning of the service that I met Jibril in Ethiopia a week ago. We were in Addis Ababa, which is the capital of that eastern African country. We'd Skyped before, we'd emailed, but we'd never been face-to-face. And we were there because my son is also in the Peace Corps and a friend of Jibril's. They met there, and at some time they'll get to meet each other here at Richmond Hill on common ground here at home. But Kristen and I spent two weeks there visiting our son Andy, who has been living in Ethiopia for a couple of years. And while we were there, we were exposed to the ways in which people on another continent are living their lives, trusting, acting, and being. They are people of strong faith. It's the rainy season in Ethiopia. And the first day we got up out in the field where Andy lives, he he lives two miles high up in the mountains where it's 70 degrees year-round. It's sunny and it feels like the air conditioning is on outside. Sounds pretty nice right now, doesn't it? But the rain had just started and it rained every night we were there and almost every day. But whenever the, the clouds broke, The farmers were out in the field, and I woke the first morning to the sound of the crack of a whip, an oxen in the field behind where I was sleeping, pulling a very primitive plow through the field. And Andy took me out in the field, and I had a chance to sow seed and to walk behind those oxen. And they taught me how to do it, and they have a basket like this. Woven from sweet grass and was woven by one of the people that Andy knows. But these baskets are, are much larger and they carry them under their hands and there are seeds in the basket and they let me sow the seeds. If you ever have seen the painting by Van Gogh called The Sower, it, it's just like that. I had the basket and I had my hands and he taught me how to throw short and long. And you just keep moving short and long, short and long, and you move through the field. And then they till the field over the dropped seeds. So the sowing comes first. And then we would plow and the the land would turn over the field. I talked to Andy yesterday and he said, that field you sowed is green today. 
The beans are already coming up. Things are growing fully. In Ethiopia, Christianity is the primary faith. There are Protestants and there are Orthodox. And not unlike the city of Richmond, on every corner almost, or every hill you see a church. But different from here, if you get up early in the morning, you can hear the Christians singing the prayers. It would be as if we at Richmond Hill opened the door and did our prayers in a microphone so everybody could hear and pray along with us. That's what it was like. There's a commitment to their faith. There is a trust that the people have that God will provide for them, that God will care for them, that the rains will come, that the sun will shine, and that the plants will grow. It's not unlike Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God who makes everything flourish. They trust in that. And they get up morning after morning and they go out to the fields to do their work. The parable of the sower who went out and found that there were wheat and there were weeds growing together is a parable that Jesus told as a metaphor for us. Creation is affirmed in that the seed that was sown by the Son of Man is good seed and will produce a harvest. Further, the sower knows knows that the risk of pulling up the weeds right away, given that the roots might be entangled with the roots of the main crop, is risky. It shouldn't be done. The things need to grow together. Andy taught me while I was there that we let things grow even if they're not the staple crop because they bring other nutrients to the field. That the farmer knows that whatever's growing is growing because it can. And that a lot of things are nitrogen fixers and there was clover over adjacent fields and they let that clover grow and they'll turn it over at a later time and it will have fed the soil in a way that will allow the beans or the corn or whatever it is that they're growing to have a better chance. The sower knows not to risk pulling up the wheat with the weeds. From the standpoint of those of us who are called to work for justice in the field of the world, the presence of weeds doesn't mean that there's nothing for us to do that we should stand back and simply wait for the harvest. God calls us to care for the field as a whole until the time of the harvest, later explained in the text in Matthew eschatologically as the the end of the age. We know and must trust that God is the one who will do that weeding, not us. That is not our work. But that isn't cause for us to be inactive or to stand by. There are weeds that threaten the abundant life that God intends, and we must be on the lookout for them. Systemic evils of all kinds can be named. Racism, sexism, any form of prejudice. These are weeds that entangle the roots of every human institution 
They need to be named and they need to be confronted. The parable warns us to take great care in trying to pull up the weeds lest we harm the wheat. Any good farmer knows that. But we need to pay attention and address what needs to be addressed faithfully and carefully. I'd like to read something from commentator Joni Sanchin. She's a seminary professor at Eastern Mennonite Seminary, and she writes about this text, rather than attempting self-righteous weed pulling, we engage in what Walter Wink refers to as naming, unmasking, and engaging the powers that be. That is, the systems, institutions, and structures that can take on a life of their own and display the same mix of weed and weeds that pervades all of creation. Unveiling the powers highlights the presence of weeds in the systems that run our world and God's redemptive action toward the world that will ultimately redeem even those powers. Belief that God is redeeming the powers frees us to engage them with a spirit of love and accountability rather than judgment. Trusting that God will ultimately bring about the harvest and burn away every trace of the weeds. Not quite a year ago, there was great political unrest in Ethiopia. The minority serving government of the country made an attempt to annex land surrounding the capital city, seeking to restructure boundaries to the benefit of a few, taking land from surrounding ethnic groups. The resistance that encountered, they encountered was significant. significant. The people rose up in opposition. There were protests and demonstrations, And the government lashed out at these protesters. There were killings and disappearances. The Peace Corps had to pull their volunteers from the affected areas. Jabril and my son Andy were brought secretly from their sites back to the capital city where they waited and they waited and they waited for things to calm down. The nation was on the brink of civil war. But for the time, cooler heads prevailed. The government succumbed to local and international pressure, and they backed off of their plans. The people had taken action against the oppression that they experienced. They were willing to name and unmask and engage the powers that be, holding an oppressive government accountable. What are the weeds that threaten abundant life right here in our own community? What would it look like for us to engage them with a spirit of love and accountability rather than judgment? These are important questions for us to ask as we continue to seek the healing of metropolitan Richmond. For now is the time for trusting and for acting, and for being. Every day in Ethiopia, the rural people stop what they're doing. And you know what they do? 
they have coffee together. <laughs> it's a ritual that they practice after every meal, and they all have clay coffee pots like this one. And they sit down together as a family and as a community, and they share not one, not two, but three glasses of coffee, little glasses like teacup size. And not only that, but they actually roast the coffee beans right in front of you. And then they grind the beans. And then they make the coffee. And then they pour it out. One cup for every person. And everybody drinks. And then a little time goes by. And then another cup comes out. And then a third. My son told me that his first year in the Peace Corps was primarily drinking coffee. <laughs> but it was building relationship and trust. And the people of Ethiopia know the importance of simply being together, of spending time with one another, of resting, of taking a break from the work long enough to be rejuvenated that they might go out again. They know that now is the time for trusting, for acting, and for being. The parable of the weed and the weeds is followed by two brief but also well-known others. One tells of the joyful pursuit of treasure hidden in the field. The other of a merchant who sold all he had to buy the pearl of great value. They help temper our concern of the final judgment by reminding us that even as we trust in God's making right of any wrong, there's an opportunity for us now to participate fully in the abundant life that God offers us in each moment. Now is not a time for paralyzed nail-biting, but a time for risk and action a time to venture joyfully in trust, a time to discover what's really valuable. Now is a time not to be intimidated by the fear of failure, but to be persistent in the pursuit of the coming reign of God. Now is the time for trusting, acting, and being. Amen.